Good morning once again. I'd like to draw your attention to two items in your bulletins. And um, the first item is in red at the bottom of the center column. It says Vacation Bible School Alert. As it says, we are indeed at a crossroads for VBS planning this year. Uh, Henry and Cindy, who have done it now for a number of years, uh, need a little bit of time off this summer. We want to be able to grant them that. Uh, and uh, Sue Webb, who always comes up to introduce you all to Vacation Bible School and the theme and all of that, uh, she has some family issues that she has to take care of as well. And, and so the three leadership roles at, at, at the top of the Vacation Bible School are, are right now uh, open, and we do need volunteers for all of these leadership positions. And we need them in place to make this successful. We need them in place by March the 18th. So with about a month from now, we, we need to uh, know that God is raising up uh, someone from our congregation to help in, in planning and, and, uh, and setting into place the uh, curriculum and all for Vacation Bible School. Now, it is of utmost importance for us to do this because, number one, uh, we have, we've had anywhere between 250 and 300 kids every summer. And it's always been a blessing to see them come from Monday through Friday of whatever week we choose to have the Vacation Bible School. And uh, the, the whole church is just roaring for, for a whole week with, uh, with great activity. And, of course, our desire is that our children will learn about the Lord and grow in, in God's love and grace, as, as you do, I, and I pray you do every, every week. But uh, <clears throat> so I, I don't want all of a sudden to have to say at some point in time, you know, we, we're, we're going to have to tell 200 to 300 kids that we're not going to have it because we don't have leadership uh, or people fill, filling the leadership roles that we need. So this is, this is critical for us to ask you to pray. If you've been involved with, with VBS, Vacation Bible School, if you've been involved in any kind of ministry of that sort, but you believe God is calling you to take a more active role in, in the planning of it and the preparation, and we're going to be with you to help you with this, and do everything we can to, to provide everything that you need as we, as we do every year, then, then pray and then please let us know as soon as possible because we, we need to get all of that uh, set up uh, to be done. And, and of course, that's, uh, when, you, when you fit it into what we've talked about in, in the last uh, a few weeks about the fact that God's vision for this church in, the next, in this next year, in this year 2013, is that we begin strong and we end stronger. Well, we won't be ending very strong if we have to set aside certain ministries because we don't have the leadership for it. So we're asking you to, to please pray about serving in whatever capacity, but as, as uh, the need is right now for, for the leadership positions, that you will please indeed pray for that. And then one other thing that I want to mention, and that is the usher greeter meeting, uh, ushers and greeters meeting that is going to be held on Saturday, February 23rd at 10 a.m. Uh, I invite all of you who are ushers and have been ushers and greeters here already, 
I uh, ask for those of you who are involved with the, with, the sec- with the security to also come on that day. It's not going to be a very long meeting. I will be at the meeting. I want to kind of express a little bit of my thoughts, my desires for, for the ushers and the greeters. And I also want to invite those of you that would like to participate as an usher or greeter at any of our services on Saturday night or Sunday morning. So, and even Wednesday night too. So I, I uh, want to make sure that you see that and that you would uh, set that date aside. I know Saturdays are very valuable to you, and, uh, but we, we need to find a time when we can all meet, and that's the, probably the best time that we, that we can have overall. So uh, that would be on Saturday, February 23rd. We will mention it again next, next week in preparation for, for that meeting. Okay. This morning, and it's been a long time since we've done this, but it's a blessing to uh, have a uh, baby dedication today. We are going to invite uh, Jaime and Jeanette Hernandez to come forward, and any of their family would like to come with them too, if if they would like to, as they're bringing uh, their daughter, Sofia Cecilia Hernandez, forward to dedicate her unto the Lord this morning. As they're coming forward today, I want to read to you from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, a passage of Scripture that we normally read at uh, our dedications, and that is in verse 4 and following what is called Shema Israel, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words, which I command you today, shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And certainly the... um, uh, the focus of that, of that particular passage has to be uh, for every family that is in Christ, that is in the love of God, to focus their attention in bringing up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, which is to bring them up in the Word of God. And that the Word of God would be essentially in their hearts bringing up their children in the Word of God as well. That is something that they can speak, something that they can give to them day in, day out, morning, noon, and night. And uh, so they're, they're coming forward today uh, to present her to the Lord is, is very special because it is their dedication that they are uh, laying before God and before us. Our responsibility, of course, is to pray for them, to surround them as their, as their uh, family of faith and to encourage them in bringing up all of their children, especially Sophia today, to bring her up in the love of Christ and in the love of the Word of God. So would you please join us in a word of prayer for for them? Okay. Hi. How you doing? You think you might want to come with me? You think so? Let's give it a try. Let's see. Would you like to come with me? Come on. Oh, you've got a lot of moisture there. <laughs> Look how pretty this little girl is. All right. 
You hang on just for a few minutes. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning we come to lift up to you Sophia Cecilia. And Lord, to place her in your hands. That you would lovingly care for her and guide her through Jaime and Jeanette and their family. And in this family here. We ask that you would protect her, keep her, cause her, Lord God, to grow in your love and in your grace. As we focus our attention upon their household, Lord, that they would bring her up in the nurture and admonition of your precious and holy word. We stand with them in prayer, Lord. We stand with them, Lord God, in in encouragement that they certainly, Lord God, would trust you for all things. That they would trust you, Lord, to uh, protect her and to keep her and to watch over her. And yet take the lead in that as well, because as we've talked about stewardship, Lord, they have the stewardship and the management of this family. So we ask you, Lord, to to guide them and protect them. Father, may you keep her healthy as she grows, and as she grows, may she hear, Lord, your word. May that word begin to make its way into her heart, so that one day she herself will be able to say that Jesus is her Lord and her Savior. So, Father, we thank you for this opportunity to surround them in prayer, to surround them in love and in your grace. And may you help us all, Lord God, to remember, Lord, these values that are so important, the value of your word, the value of your salvation, and, Lord, the, the, just the very precious value of living our lives in trust and in faith in you. May you instill this in this home and in this family. Have your hand upon it protected. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You did good. (laughs) You did great. That's an A plus right there, I can tell you. God bless you. Let me give you this certificate. Thank you. God bless you. All right. I miss baby dedication. It's been a long time. Glad that we had one today. Genesis chapter 24. It's been a long time, over two months, since we've been in the book of Genesis. We took a long vacation from Genesis, didn't we? And today is going to be kind of like a whirlwind getting back into it, but... uh, I think it's going to be real helpful for us to go through the rest of this chapter, chapter 24. We, we did 28 verses before, and uh, it has 67 verses in it, so we got quite a few uh, verses to go, but we're going to do it. We're going to cover it. We did it in the other two services. We'll do it here today. Uh, but, and, and we have all afternoon, don't we? So I don't have to rush. Abraham is near the end of his life. And he realizes now that his son, Isaac, at 40 years old, is the heir of the covenant, the covenant that God has made with him. The covenant that says that Abraham was going to be the father of many nations. In particular, he was going to be the father of one great nation, that is the nation of Israel. But to do that, Isaac has to be married. Isaac has to have a wife. And so he sends, as we study in the first 28 verses of this chapter, he sends his servant Eliezer back to his old homeland, back to his old house, as it were, his own family, 
in Haran, the same family that came out of Ur of the Chaldees, the same family that was at one time, uh, they were idol worshippers, pagan worshippers. Now, after Abraham had left them, he left them with a the knowledge of the one true and living God. And he knew that he, it, was, it was out of this family that a wife was to be pre- present for Isaac. As we come into verse 29, Eliezer has gone to Haran and he prays. The Lord would reveal a, a, a woman, a, a virgin, a maiden, and Rebecca appears. And he tells her what his mission is and gives her a nose ring and some bracelets. And she goes to tell her family because he believes that this is the one that God has chosen. I've entitled this message Imparting Values in a Valueless Society because there are some lessons about the values that we have as believers in Jesus Christ that I, I believe are, are in this particular chapter that will encourage our hearts as to how we are to live for the Lord until the day that Jesus comes for us. They're not very specific values, but they are very general values of great importance. And you'll see why in just a moment. So let's take uh, a look at our text, beginning at verse 29. Now Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. And Laban ran out to the man by the well. So it came to pass when he saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrist. And when he heard the words of his sister Rebecca saying, Thus the man spoke to me that he went to the man. And there he stood by the camels at the well. And he said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. And then the man came to the house, and he unloaded the camels and provided straw and feed for the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Food was set before him to eat, but he said, and that is Eliezer, Eliezer said, I will not eat until I have told about my errand. And Laban said to him, Speak on. As I said, it's been quite a while since we've been in the book of Genesis, but this will not keep us from getting caught up from where we've been in our study and where we need to be to get moving along again. We spent a considerable amount of time examining the life of Abraham and Sarah, always remembering our foundational goal in studying the book of Genesis. There is a goal. And that goal is more than just learning the history, learning about the creation, learning about what's taking place uh, in time past and history past. It's all about what God created the heavens and the earth for, what God created man for. Our foundational goal is to follow the line of Adam through Seth, through Noah, through Shem, 
to Abraham as we have. And from Abraham to make our way through the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the nation of Israel. Find our way to understand the position of King David and his descendants. And make our way all the way to the promised Messiah of Genesis 3.15. The promised Messiah who is Jesus Christ himself. Because in chapter 3 of Genesis we learned that man fell. That man fell into sin. And God knew that we needed a Savior. And so he was going to send the seed of the woman. That's what all of this has been about. And when you look at the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, from beginning to end, there's a, there's a thread that connects it all. Some people have called it the scarlet thread of redemption to link it to the blood of Jesus Christ. But from Adam all the way to the book of Revelation, from Genesis to the book of Revelation, there is a thread. And the thread is that Jesus Christ is in all of the word of God. That is our desire. That is our goal. And when we were last in Genesis 24, we were dealing with considerable typology. Now, I didn't really give you a very clear definition before when we talked about typology. I talked about it a little bit. I gave you a very simple uh, understanding of it. But there is a definition that I want you to to know of typology. And that is that it is a method of biblical interpretation whereby an element found in the Old Testament is seen to prefigure one found in the New Testament. And the best way for me to explain that is just to say that in our study of of Abraham, especially in chapter 22, Abraham actually is a type of God the Father. He prefigures, in essence, the work of God the Father for us in the New Testament. Because in the same chapter, in chapter 22, Isaac is for us a type of God the Son, a type of Jesus Christ. And there in, 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 in Genesis chapter 22 is when Abraham takes Isaac up to Mount Moriah. As he is being obedient to the Lord who told him, take your son up to Mount Moriah and I want you to sacrifice him to me. This is prefiguring the coming of Jesus Christ to die for the sins of man. So please understand now what typology is. Abraham being a type of God the Father. Sending His only begotten Son to this earth to do what? To die for our sins. Jesus coming. Isaac being the the type. Jesus being the fulfillment. Jesus being the antitype. There's types and antitypes in the Scriptures. As we move on, we meet Eliezer. And now in this particular chapter, Eliezer becomes a type of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is sent out by God as it were, as Abraham sends out Eliezer to find a wife for Isaac. The Holy Spirit has come to find a bride for Jesus. And of course, the bride, we know, is the church. So later on, we realize that Rebecca becomes a type of the church. So this is the typology of these chapters that we have been in 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 Genesis chapters 22 through 24, where we are now. So it was in chapter 22, as I mentioned, that we see the clarity then of the typology of Abraham and Isaac as father and son, as well as the types of death and resurrection. 
If you remember, there was also a ram that was caught in the thicket. As, as Abraham is getting ready to sacrifice Isaac, a ram appears. God keeps Abraham from, uh, from sacrificing Isaac. And he sees the ram. He takes the ram and sacrifices the ram. That is a type, again, of Jesus as our substitution. Dying in our place on the cross. So you see how rich the typology is in Genesis 22. So now we come up to through chapter 23 where Sarah dies, the, the mother of Isaac. And now after the death of Sarah and the years had taken their toll on Abraham, he was concerned that every preparation be made on behalf of Isaac, heir of the covenant. An heir of his covenant with God. And the narrative now places Isaac as the central figure in chapter 24. It was Abraham's role to select a wife for his son. That was the custom of the time as well, but it was also the biblical custom as God was establishing this. It was Abraham's role to select a wife for his son. And this task then was given to, from Abraham to Eliezer, who was to abide strictly to his master's wishes that Isaac was not to marry a pagan woman of the Canaanites. He was to find her in Abraham's brother Nahor's house or household. So we see the invisible hand of the Lord becoming quite visible. As we look at this chapter today, the invisible hand of the Lord is clearly visible, working things through, as He does in our own lives. When we truly listen and we truly consider the Lord in our lives, we're going to see Him work His work, and we are going to be amazed every time we see it. Because, as we said in our last study a long time ago, where God guides, He provides. So the account moves swiftly then to the time of Eliezer's arrival in Nahor city. We can say that it was in Haran. He stopped by the community well. Every community had a well outside the city. And he goes to the well and just there outside of the city, he submits this matter to the Lord in prayer. And Eliezer asks for a sign to confirm God's choice. He asks the Lord that this woman was to be hospitable, that she was to to be generous and ready to serve others. That was going to be the sign. That was what he was going to be looking for because he was a stranger. Who would respond to him as a stranger? So even before he finishes his prayer, Rebekah appears and fulfills the qualities that Eliezer asked God so that he would see him. And now he needed to establish his integrity and his identity with Nahor's family. So the ten camels loaded with wealth were all he needed. And he gifted Rebekah with a nose ring and bracelets, a type of the grace given to us by the Holy Spirit when he brings us to life in Christ. Did you know that when you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God gave you tremendous gifts? Certainly he gave us spiritual gifts. He gave us tremendous gifts that we can use in his service. But he gave us a lot more gifts that we haven't seen yet. Why? Because they are in heaven. That's where we stored them. That's where he stored them. We may not see them all here on this earth. We may see some. But coming to the Lord Jesus Christ, He's loved us so much, he's gave us, He gave us tremendous gifts. You want to know what the greatest gift is? He gave us eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's richer than any treasure. And so it's a type of the grace as He gives the gift. Was Rebecca worthy of them? Was, was she, uh, does she deserve them? 
She just showed up. You remember when you came to the Lord? One day you just showed up someplace and all of a sudden the Lord gave you the gospel right there, whoever presented it to you. You weren't planning on it. You didn't get up someday and say, you know, today I think I'll listen to the gospel. Right? That wasn't what you did. You went off on your own day, but you know, God had been working on your heart and then somebody tells you about Jesus and then you realize, man, I need the Lord. I never planned on it. You didn't plan on it. And then God gifted us with life everlasting. So Rebecca would soon enjoy all the riches of Abraham's household. And that brings us to our text and to Laban, Rebecca's brother, because what we discover is that Laban is a diff- of a different character than Rebecca. We see that he does, he does hurry to meet the needs of the stranger, but I want you to notice why he does so. In verse 30 of our, of our text, I, I outline this one particular verse because it, it, it shows us something about Laban that I want to bring into this, this uh, uh, issue of, of values here. So it came to pass when he saw the nose ring. Notice, he saw the ring. Gold or silver, but he saw the ring and, then, and, and, and the bracelets on his sister's wrists. And when he heard the words of his sister Rebecca saying, Thus the man spoke to me, telling her about all of the things that he had come to do, representing Abraham and Isaac, and with all of the ten camels filled with all kinds of riches. That's when he went to the man. You see that? That's when he went to the man. And there he stood by the camels at the well. There he found the man by his own camels. Now I want to talk to you real quickly about the values of the Word of God versus the values of the world. The values of the Word of God versus the values of the world. I don't want to say that the world is valueless. They have values, but their values do not, they cannot ever add up to the values of the Word of God. So God has blessed us that with that gift too. The Word of God is a tremendous gift because it gives us all of the values. Now today we're going to deal with values from, the, from a very general standpoint, not specific values, because we could, we could spend a whole day talking about the values of the Word of God specifically, but these are just very general ones. The, the, the value of the Word of God. Versus the, the, uh, the values of the world. Think about it in these terms. Laban only went to Eliezer only after seeing the kind of wealth the potential suitor he represented had as a dowry. You know what he saw? He saw dollar signs. Now that's the way the world functions. They, they see, you know, they look. They, what's going to be a benefit to me? And so he was therefore all too willing to help the stranger in order to help himself. That's a value, but it's not a very good value, is it? Why? Because it doesn't represent any trust in the Lord. It represents only what I can get for myself. We will get to see more of Laban's greedy character in the story of Jacob, but suffice it to say that this reveals for us some of the so-called values that are overtaking the values of the Word of God today, even in the church. So the Lord knew that Laban would not let Rebekah go unless he could profit financially, so he had provided Abraham with the riches that he needed to succeed in advance. You see, God will always provide what we need to succeed in whatever calling God has given us. If it's money, He'll provide the money. Whatever it is that, he, that, whatever it is that we need to accomplish the will of God, He will provide. 
And always remember, it isn't for our sake. It isn't for our glory. It isn't for our bank account. It's for God's. God's glory, always. So after Eliezer arrived at Laban's house, we see in verse 33 that he was unwilling to accept any accommodations. It said that food was laid out before him, but he said, I will not eat until I tell you why I came, until I tell you of this mission. He wouldn't accept the comforts or the accommodations until he, uh, until he had assurances that his mission was a success. And what we need to understand as believers in Jesus Christ today is that the Spirit-filled and Spirit-led servant is committed to his mission above his own needs. A Spirit-filled and Spirit-led servant is committed to his mission above his own needs. Which serves as a great example to us also. We need to be serious when we read the Word of God and the Word of God speaks to our hearts about what our mission is, what our, what our ministry is, what our calling is, whatever it is that God has given us to do in this life for Him, we need to complete that mission. We need to take it seriously. So if you're going to write down anything today, write down this. God's will should always be our priority. You can write that down. God's will should always be our priority. God's will should always be our priority. So, this is what Eliezer shared. Now, this is a lot of this is what Abraham had said to him. So, it's kind of repeating some of the things we learned in the first 28 verses. But if you'll turn to, to, to verse 34. And by the way, I'm just going to show you the reference. Okay, that means you've got to look in your Bibles. And you've got to read with me from your Bible. Okay, you got it? All right, because there's too many verses. I'll be clicking this thing all afternoon if I did that. So let's just, let's just, just read along with me. Verse 34 of chapter 24. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. By the way, that's a wonderful statement. That's a wonderful statement to begin with somebody that you are actually sharing a testimony that God is doing. You need to let him know. I am a servant of Jesus Christ. I belong to Jesus. I serve Jesus. I love the Lord. He loves me. He saved me. Just to get that out in the open. Got it? Good way to start a conversation. I am a servant of the Lord. So, Eliezer says, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master greatly. Notice that he's giving the glory to the Lord and to his master. And he has become great. Abraham has become great and he has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female servants and camels and donkeys. By the way, man, that is riches in Abraham's time. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. Now notice the next phrase. And to him he has given all that he has. Now folks, if we keep with the typology that Abraham is the is the type of the father and, 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 and Isaac is a type of, of, of the son, then realize this. When Jesus came, he came with everything that God had given him. God had given him everything that he needed to come and to accomplish the work that was necessary for the sins of men, to be the Lamb of God, to take away the sins of the world. But he gave him more than just all of that. He gave him power and authority. Read the end of, of, of Matthew chapter 28. He gave him power and authority. He says, all authority... And power has been given to me. Jesus had everything that the Father had. So understand this. This is, this is connecting again the typology of, of the Father and the Son. To him he has given all that he has. Verse 37. Now, my master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell. 
but you shall go to my father's house and to my family and to take a wife for my son. And I said to my master, perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, the Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with you and prosper your way. So Abraham is telling him, the Lord is going to prosper your way. And you shall take a wife for my son from my family and from my father's house. You will be clear from this oath when you arrive among my family. For if they will not give her to you, then you will be released from my oath. And this day I came to the well and said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, if you will now prosper the way in which I go, behold, I stand by the well of water, and it shall come to pass that when the virgin comes out to draw water, and I say to her, Please give me a little water from your pitcher to drink. And she says to me, Drink, and I will draw for your, cam- uh, your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. So he's telling now Laban that, that this is what I did. I came and did, uh, you know, I, I, I put this before the Lord. I needed a sign. So I asked the Lord for a sign. But before I had finished speaking in my heart, in other words, before I finished my prayer, there was Rebecca coming out with her pitcher on her shoulder. And she went down to the well and drew water. And I said to her, please let me drink. And she made haste and let her pitcher down from her shoulder and said, drink and I will give your camels a drink also. So I drank and she gave the camels a drink also. Ah, the sign's being fulfilled. And then I asked her and said, whose daughter are you? And she said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. Now I'm sure that Abraham told Eliezer, here's my family line. Here's all the people that are going to probably be there. So when you hear these names, you'll know it's my family. When he heard the names, notice, so I put the nose ring on her nose and the bracelets on her wrists. And I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has led me in the way of truth to take the daughter of my master's brother for his son. Now, if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. In other words, here I am. I believe this is the one that I am to take back to Isaac. But if you don't agree, then you've got to tell me now. Because I've got to go out and find the one that God wants me to find. So he lays that out straight. So let's go back for just a moment. Eliezer immediately presented the facts of his case. His introduction of himself and his mission was in the form of a testimony. The old servant had reported that the Lord had blessed Abraham. That alone accounted for his prosperity and for his son. Now, Or's family may have been skeptical of Abraham's decision to leave Haran to become a pilgrim and a sojourner. So you'd think that as, as Eliezer is speaking to them about all of this, And the thought comes up that here is Abraham sending this man to get someone from their family to take back hundreds of miles to where Abraham and Isaac are. It brings brings up this thought. Abraham left us. We were doing just fine being idol worshippers over in Ur of the Chaldees. And then Abraham one day comes to us and he says, you know, last night, the living God, the one true God, spoke to me. And he said, Abraham, actually Abram, he said, Abram, pick up your family and leave Ur the Chaldees 
and go to a place that I'm going to take you. Okay, Lord. And he begins to pack up all of his family and, 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 and uh, of his own family, his own household. And then the rest of his family there are saying, where are you going? He said, I had a conversation last night with, a, with a, the Lord God, the, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one true God. And he told me to leave. He says, where, they said, where are you going? I don't know. I really don't know. He didn't tell me. He just said, go. I figured he'll lead me. Somewhere in that conversation, there were probably people thinking or even saying, you're crazy, right? Think about your own salvation. Think about the day that you came to the Lord and you went and told your family. Now, I know that some of you here probably grew up in a Christian home, so that might not be your experience. But many of us here came to the Lord. We were not believers. They, they were not believers. But we came to the Lord and we went and told our family, I just came to know the love of Jesus Christ. I just received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. What were some of them saying to you? You're crazy. Why are you leaving your religion? Or why are you leaving us? Why are you, you know, why are you doing that? That's, that's weird. It's crazy. It's, it's a fad. It's, it's not going to last. How many of you are going through that experience? At least something similar. Yeah, I did too. I, I you know, they, they said, what? You know, you're crazy. But it was real, wasn't it? The living God spoke to you through the Word of God that said that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and you responded to that. And you just want to let Him know, oh man, I came to the Lord, you need to come to the Lord too. But their response wasn't what you expected. We don't really know what took place in order of the Chaldees, but we know that there was probably some tension Maybe they were skeptical. Abraham will be back. I bet you some of your family said, oh, they'll be back. You haven't come back yet, have you? You still love them, but you don't do what they do. You don't serve them. You serve the Lord Jesus Christ. So guess what? Hello. Why is it not working? It was working all day. Now they were to learn that, that Abraham's venture of faith was not a mistake. Have people learned that your venture of faith in, in Jesus Christ is not a mistake? So now they're learning. Hearing years, years later, Abraham truly did speak to the Lord God. And God blessed him. And now he's sending for a wife from his own family. Hopefully they all listened and hopefully the word continued to spread. Abraham serves the living God. They could have been skeptical, but now they see ten camels filled with riches. So in verse 49, Eliezer pressed for an immediate decision as to whether or not Rebekah would be given in marriage to Isaac by her family. Abraham's servant was was a man with a mission so, so urgent that he dared not to be delayed by anything, even the ordinary courtesies of such an occasion. The courtesy was, you know, well, you've, you've taken care of us, we'll stay here a few days. No, I need to leave tomorrow. Eliezer had come to realize and sense the importance of God's covenant with his master. This marriage, the marriage of Rebekah and Isaac, this marriage was essential to the Lord's plan for the formation of the nation of Israel. The covenant nation. 
It wasn't anything to take lightly. They needed to take it seriously. And Eliezer, as a type of the Holy Spirit, says, we got to go now. My mission isn't going to be complete until Rebecca comes with us. So he knew that God was working in the circumstances of this journey and he wanted to see it through as soon as possible. That's the way we need to be. That's how we need to take care of the value of the Word of God in our lives is that when God speaks to us something from His Word, we need to stick with it. We need to stick with it. And we need to see it through all the way. And then let's read on. Verse 50. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing comes from the Lord. We cannot speak to you either bad or good. So they're saying it's from the Lord. So it all sounds good now, doesn't it? Here is Rebecca before you. Take her and go and let her be your master's son's wife. As the Lord has spoken. I wonder if also the camels were speaking. Uh, Well, uh, you know, the stuff that was on the back of the camels. Some riches back there. Nonetheless, they said it was the Lord. So it came to pass when Abraham's servants or servant heard the words of Bethuel and Laban, that he worshipped the Lord. He, he, when he heard the words, he said, okay, praise the Lord. This, this, is, this is God's hand. This is God's prospering this situation. So he bowed himself to the earth. He worshipped the Lord and he bowed himself. And then the servant brought out jewelry of silver, jewelry of gold and clothing, and gave them to Rebekah. And he also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank and stayed all night, which means that as soon as all of this happened, Eliezer said, now I can eat. Now I can eat because I have heard them say what I expected them to say, which was, this is the one. And they arose in the morning and he said, send me away to my master. In other words, nothing's going to keep me here anymore. It's time to go because we've got to get this plan running and in effect. Bethuel and, and, uh, Bethuel and Laban agreed that the Lord had spoken and they therefore gave their consent for Rebekah to marry Isaac. So he distributed the gifts sent from Abraham's wealth, which probably served as a dowry payment for the bride. And in all of this, Eliezer's dedication comes through in every phase of the narrative. He wouldn't eat until every detail of his master's biz- business had been carried out. Abraham's mandate was his servant's first priority. Whatever Abraham wanted, Eliezer needed to accomplish. Whatever the Lord God wants, that needs to be our priority. But then, even though everything seems to be okay, everything seems to be right, yes, it looks pretty good. Family says, okay, she can go. Guess what happens? There's a bump in the road. How many of you experienced bumps in the road? In your walk of faith. There are bumps in the road every day. Now, granted, there are some good bumps in the road. Some of our neighborhoods have these speed bumps on them, you know. Right? Because crazies drive back and forth 60 miles an hour in a little, you know, residential area. So they put these speed bumps in there. Kind of slow them down a little bit. Those, Those are good bumps. But most of the time, when we're trying to see God's plan fulfilled, there are little bumps in the road. And we keep thinking... All right, Lord, is this a test? Are we being tested? Sometimes, yes. Other times, it's just the way it is. There are always bumps in the road. Because the roads are not always straight. But thank God, is, uh, He's the one that takes care of all the bumps in the road. Well, there's a bump in the road here. Notice, if you will, in verse 55. It says, But her brother and her mother said, 
Now remember, it's morning, it's time for them to leave. And now the brother and the mother said, let the young woman stay with us a few days, at least ten. That's a bump in the road. Because Eliezer said, I need to leave now. You need to send me away now. Oh, no, no, let her stay just another ten days. That's a week and a half. Why don't we just make it two weeks? That's only 14 days. Because she says at least 10. Well, what's wrong with that? If it's 14, what about 27 or 28? Or how about another month and a half? Right? Does the enemy oftentimes work this way with us? We know that there's something that needs to be accomplished. But, there's, you know, we can wait a little bit. There are times when we cannot wait. So it says, let the young woman stay with us a few days. After that, she may go. Oh, yeah, well, you know what? You're trying to run things now. Be careful when you start changing God's plans. Because it says in verse 56, and he said to them, do not hinder me. I I, I truly believe that here Eleazar is being a type of the Holy Spirit. Because too often we try to hinder the Holy Spirit's work by setting in our plan and putting God's plan aside. He says, do not hinder me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away so that I may go to my master. I'm seeing this plan to completion. Don't get in the way. So they said, we will call the young woman and ask her personally. Oh yeah? Well, we'll just let her say. Right? Is that way it is sometimes? All right, you tell us. Boy, Rebecca's put in this pickle. Here's her family who she's lived with all her life. And here's a stranger. That's their thinking. He's a stranger. She should, she should be picking our way. He can wait. He's got all of Abraham's riches. So they said, well, let's, we'll ask her. So they called Rebecca and they said to her, will you go with this man? Look, listen to the question. Will you go with this man? Is that the way the world works sometimes? To slow things down that God's doing in our lives. But I love Rebecca's response. And Rebecca answered, I will go. I will go. What does that tell us? It tells us that she knew what it meant to follow God's plan instead of her family's plan. That's not part of the plan there. So they sent away Rebecca. There was no argument. They sent away Rebecca, their sister and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men, and they blessed Rebecca and said to her, Our sister, hey, you become the, the mother of thousands of ten thousands. They finally surrendered. They finally rested in this thought. And may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. You know what happens? Your families finally realize that you're serious about your faith in Jesus Christ. You understand that? Sometimes they don't understand at first. But now they understand. 
Then Rebecca and her maids arose and they rode on the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebecca and departed. They followed the man. Eliezer is the type of the Holy Spirit that when Eliezer comes for the bride, the bride follows. It was the Holy Spirit that drew us to Jesus. And we follow the Spirit and His leading to salvation. We have to follow. We have to follow the Lord. This brings up another value that we need to deal with. And that is the value of taking seriously our salvation in Christ. Because there's always tension between the way of faith and the way of the world. That was the tension of the bumps in the road here in this passage that we just read. Because at first things were going well. Rebecca's brother and father readily agreed to the marriage and everything seemed like smooth sailing from that point. But after they received their costly gifts, they weren't so anxious now to let her leave. And while things seemed that they would not succeed, God is always faithful to provide where He is guided. The Lord had obviously worked on Rebecca's heart so that she was willing to do what God desired her to do. The family thought she wanted to stay. But I want you to consider the situation. She had only met the stranger the day before, so that's what they were banking on. But no, nonetheless, she said, I will go. That's what we have to do in this life. We have to take seriously our salvation in Christ. That no matter what anybody says, no matter what they try to do to sway us from going in that direction, we have to go with God and we have to go with Jesus and we have to follow the leading of the Spirit. And so she's ready to go. Let's, let's just close out the reading here, the passage. Now Isaac came from the way of Be'er Lahai Roy, which means this is the name given by Hagar, who was the mother of, of Ishmael in Genesis 16, the God who sees. This is what she calls him. This is where Isaac is now, not far from his home with Abraham. It says, Isaac came from the way of Be'er Lahai Roy, for he dwelt in, dwelt in the south. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening. Notice how God is working all of this plan out. And he lifted his eyes and he looked, and there the camels were coming. And then Rebekah lifted her eyes. And notice this, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel. This, sound is, this sounds so beautiful, but let me, let me put it in, in, in the true Hebrew sense. When she saw Isaac, she fell off her camel. That's really what it says. Wow, he must have really been a looker. Uh. You ever ridden a camel, man? To fall off a camel, that's a good, good distance down, you know. She fell off her camel. For she said to her servant, Who is this man walking in the field to meet us? Who is this? And the servant said, it is my master. And she took a veil and covered herself, which was the custom. That a virgin who was betrothed to a young man was not to show herself until they were married. And that was not just the covering of, of the face, but just the whole body had to be covered. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. And then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent. This is kind of significant because, you see, Sarah is gone. There is no matriarch now. 
Rebecca was now going to fill that role. And he took Rebecca and she became his wife. And notice these four words. And he loved her. I know in a few days, Valentine's Day comes. And all you guys are going to all of a sudden get romantic. (laughs) And then for another year, you're going to go out and buy candy. By the way, Russell Stover's makes sugar free. (laughs) For those who care. Or you go out and buy flowers. Or fruit. Chocolate covered, of course. (laughs) Or some big, huge teddy bear. I saw one on TV yesterday. It looked bigger than me. That'd be scary. (laughs) But Isaac loved her having not seen her. And what a beautiful picture that is. He didn't love her based on her beauty. She was probably very beautiful. He loved her based on two things. He loved her based on the love of God for him to have given him this great privilege of being a part of the line of Abraham that stretches all the way back to Adam. And he loved her because he trusted God. This has been a love story from beginning to end. And how God has orchestrated this whole story to this, to these four words. And he loved her. Because in the scriptures, to, to love someone in this manner is to give yourself totally. To be supportive to be encouraging, to be sensitive, to be sweet, to be strong, and to be devoted to the God who gives us these opportunities and who brings the right person to us. It is a love story. And it doesn't end because you see, without this love story, we don't have the love story of the cross. That's the love story to end all love stories. Isaac had to accept Rebecca, it could have been an obstacle. But these few verses indicate that what the Lord had begun, he would complete. And before Rebecca presented herself as eligible for marriage by covering herself with a veil, we find that Isaac is walking in a field meditating, giving us some indication of what Isaac was as an adult. 
a quiet man, a peaceful man, a man of prayer, a sensitive and thoughtful man. He had tremendous life experiences on Mount Moriah with his father and dealing with the death of his mother, Sarah. All of these things brought him to consider all that God was doing and going to do with Eliezer and with whomever he would bring with him. Because he didn't know. The difference between Isaac and Jesus is Jesus knew. And when Jesus knew us, He knew us at our worst. He knew us at our lowest. And He loved us anyway. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is a significant distinction. No greater love has ever been shown than that love for us, the bride of Christ. And he trusted the Lord. You see, the third value is the value of trusting the Lord wholeheartedly. The whole of this chapter has a wonderfully beautiful biblical, if not theological, motif. And the motif is that God will lead and prosper the one who puts their trust in him. Eliezer was blessed because he put his trust in the Lord. Abraham was blessed because he put his trust in the Lord. Isaac was blessed because he put his trust in the Lord. Rebecca was blessed because she put her trust in the Lord. You are blessed because you have put your trust in the Lord. That was certainly expressed by the servant Eleazar in verse 56 when he says, since the Lord has prospered my way. Eleazar was convinced that God had worked out this whole plan and worked it out by his hand every step of the way. But that was his hope throughout the whole narrative. You go all the way back to verse 21. When he wondered whether God was going to make the journey prosperous or not, verse 21, verse 40, when he's recounting what Abraham had said to him, to to Laban, and he says so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not, I'm sorry, uh, verse 40, but he said to me, the Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with you and prosper your way. So he trusted what Abraham had said. God's going going to prosper your way. And eventually, of course, in verse 42, at the conclusion of his, of his testimony, he says in his prayer, O Lord God of my master Abraham, if you will now prosper the way in which, I should, in which I go. And it brings to mind what we need to do today as believers in Jesus Christ. Are we willing to take hold of that value of trusting the Lord wholeheartedly in and through our lives until the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Are we willing to take hold of that value of trusting the Lord wholeheartedly in and through our lives until the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Are we willing to stand on that value so wonderfully exhibited and expressed in Eliezer and in the Holy Spirit? Will we stand upon that value? We need to stand upon it. We can't, we, it isn't just something we have in our head. It needs to be in our hearts. And are we willing to teach this value to our children and others? What a joy it was to have, have this dedication here this, this morning. 
Because that is exactly what, what, what the couple was, was, one, was, was saying. I, I'm, I'm dedicating, we are dedicating ourselves to bringing up our child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and in the Word of God. We trust the Lord when we teach this value to our children and others. Because our kids, if they go to public schools, they're not going to get that. They're not going to get that value to be, that, you know, to be taught to them. We teach them that value. Will you be willing to teach that value to your children and to others? These are the values that we cannot live without. We can't live without the Word of God. We can't live without being serious about our salvation. We can't live without the value of trusting the Lord. We cannot. And I tell you this, I mean, this, this is significant for us that we are asking you to pray about teaching our children this coming summer about these values. The values of the Word of God, the values of trusting the God of creation, the values of trusting what God has done in putting us in this earth so that we might be examples of Jesus Christ to the world. And so I want to leave you here with a few verses. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 10. We'll do this as quickly as we can, but I'm not going to rush it. Proverbs 3 verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the firstfruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Let's look at the first thing in verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Let's remember that the Lord God is the fountain of all good. He has made His intelligent creatures dependent upon Himself. Oh, by the way, who are the intelligent creatures? The dolphins? The chimpanzees? Parrots, us, man, mankind, created in the image of God. He has made us dependent upon Himself. He requires us to be conscious of that dependence. He has promised, us to, he has promised to communicate what we need. He, he commands us to believe His promise and to look for its fulfillment. And to do this without doubt and fear or distrust, we are to trust Him with our whole heart. So let's do that. And then secondly, lean not on your own understanding. This is very important. Let's remember that it is on God, not on ourselves, that we are commanded to depend. We are to depend on the Lord, not on ourselves. As a matter of fact, in this phrase, the phrase is in, in the Hebrew, al tishishayin which means do not prop yourself up on your own understanding. Do not prop yourself on your own understanding. For he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. By the way, I'm not telling you that. You know who is? The Lord. Proverbs 28, verse 26. He who trusts in his heart is a fool. But whoever walks wisely will be delivered. Will you not lean on your own understanding? Will you lean on his this is so important if we're going to stand upon the values of God's Word and, and His salvation and, 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 and taking seriously His salvation and trusting in Him. And then in all your ways, acknowledge Him. 
in all your ways, beginning and end. Begin, continue, and end every work, every purpose, every device, everything you do. Begin and end with God. Everything. Begin and end with God. Earnestly and eagerly pray for His direction at the start of every day. Don't start a day without prayer. Don't start a day without communicating with the Lord. Don't start a day without having your Bible open and read so, so you'll know what His will is for you. Look for His continual support in the progress. And so begin and continue that all may terminate in His glory. Everything we want to do will come to this end that He gets the glory. Yes? Oh, good. Okay. Just want to make sure you're still with me. And then it'll certainly be to your good as well. Because whatever is to His glory will always be to our good and the good of others. Especially those that we are ministering to. Because self-sufficiency and self-dependence have been the ruin of mankind ever since the fall of Adam. The grand sin of the human race is their continual endeavor to live without God in this world. That's what the world wants to do. They don't want God in their lives, but we do. We want God in our lives and we want to do whatever is needed to bring glory to Him and good to others. And in so doing, the good will also come to us. And that's why, you know, we won't close with it, but verses 9 and 10 of this passage in Proverbs 3. Do this and your barns will be filled with plenty. Let's go on. He shall direct your paths. Psalm 73 verse 24 says this. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Uh, receive me to glory. So in directing our paths... The Lord is actually making those paths straight. What does it mean to make the paths straight? It means more than just guiding us. It means that God will remove the obstacles in our lives. He will make a smooth path or way of life while bringing us to the appointed goal. God acting on our behalf in our lives every day as we walk, as we breathe, as we seek to fulfill these things. Which means that all of us will face obstacles along the way, right? We face those obstacles, we face those bumps in the road, but our trust is in the Lord and that will get us beyond the distractions and the problems and the hindrances and the impediments and the hurdles that we face in this life. If we trust in the Lord, not get, not to say, you know, well, everything's going real good. And then all of a sudden hit the bump in the road and say, oh, where's God when you need him? When you do that, you're not trusting in him. You hit a bump in the road and you say, well, Lord, there's a bump in the road. We need to get it out of the way. Because we're going to see this through to the very end. And you're going to get the glory because you're doing the work anyway. So that's what we need to do. So let me close with these, these three things. It's not only understand that we have these values. The important thing is, as, as the title suggests of this study, imparting values in a valueless society. This is what we need to do. First of all, impart the value of the Word of God. What does it mean to impart? It means to communicate, to proclaim, speak it, impart the value of the Word of God. Don't just know it, but speak it. Secondly, impart the value of taking seriously our salvation in Christ. Take seriously your relationship to Jesus Christ. Take seriously your fellowship with Christ. Take seriously what it took for you to be saved from sin and death. Take it seriously because it's going to affect somebody's life someday. And then lastly, impart the value of trusting the Lord wholeheartedly. Impart it. Communicate it. Especially to your children. Communicate it to others. 
Be a part of the children's ministry. Impart those things to our children here. You have the opportunity. You've been given the call. Respond to it now. That the Lord will be honored and glorified. And you will be blessed. And others will be blessed with His good. Shall we pray? Father, thank You. And we bless You that we made it pretty well in time.